Let's all stand together and worship today. Let me hear you singing too. Rich and poor, God, I want you more than anything that glitters in this world. Be my all, all-consuming fire. You can have all my hands can hold my heart, mind, strength, and soul. Be my all, all-consuming fire. Come on, sing it out. have a seat if you're not already seated. Hey, so glad that you guys are here this morning. And if you're visiting this morning, thanks for visiting and thanks for uh, trying out a new church today because I know there's a lot that can go with that and um, it can be a little scary at times. And so thanks for risking that on us this morning here. Let me say to you this morning, if you are visiting, that we have no expectation of you except that you participate as you want to participate this morning, which means maybe you know the songs, maybe you don't. And that's okay. If you know the songs and you want to sing, great. If you don't want to sing, that's fine too. But but think about the words and, and let those, those words direct your mind and your heart toward the Lord this morning or cause you to think about something more deeply than you've thought about in a while. And that would, be, that would be a good way to participate this morning as well, all right? If you haven't given us a connection card, I'd encourage you to give us one if you're willing. Um, the way you can do that is two ways. One, the bulletin. 
on the front side on the bottom right next to the Facebook logo, there's a QR code. So this is for you if you like, you know, use your smartphone. So take your camera out, put it on that QR code. It'll pop up a, uh, a connection card that you can fill in electronically. You can do it that way. Or if you want a pen and paper option, at our Welcome Center on the way out is, um, there's a connection card. You can get that, fill that out. At least a name and an email is a great way to start. And then we can get you connected and we can get more information from you. All right. And then that way you can stay connected with us. All right. And then we can stay connected with you. You can make decisions about how you want to be involved, all that kind of good stuff. All right, um, I've got uh, another thing for you today. If today's the day you choose to worship through giving, those options are available to you. Back at each door, there's drop boxes there. You can give online. Um, those are always available to you if today's the day you choose to, to give um, as a part of your worship. And then two announcements here on the back of your bulletin. I want to highlight it. It's not this Friday, but the next two Fridays after that. There's some events happening. So Friday, April 23rd, here at the main building, it looks like. Correct? I read that right? Okay. Um, Secret Church. April 23rd, Secret Church. You can get more information from Russ. But this is a marathon Bible study if you like to stay up late or even if you don't like to stay up late, but you like to do some deep Bible studies, some intentional prayer. Um, there's going to be a, a group meeting here. It's um, video-based. Correct? And then there's going to be some interaction that you guys will, will have. So um, the time on here is 6 p.m. to 12 a.m. But I know from past years, if, if you can't make it that long, come for however long you want to make it. Right? Sound fair? All right. And then Russ is your contact for that if you want some more information. And then the following uh, Friday night, April 30th, ladies, there's going to be a ladies' night here at, the, at our main building, and that's going to be from 6 to 9 p.m., and um, there's going to be some exciting things there, some fun stuff. You guys always have fun when you get together. Um, for this particular event, it's going to be Lindy Scheffel. Raise your hand. She's your point of contact, and we're grateful for you doing that, all right? And she's got a team that she's working with, but uh, you can get any information you, you have uh, or need from Lindy. All right, that's what I got by way of announcement. Um, Virgil, welcome back. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he even gets music. Wow. So many of you guys know, and we've been praying for Virgil for quite a while, and so glad to have you back, back here this morning, and uh, Linda as well. Um, let me pray for us this morning, and then uh, we will continue our worship. Father, you're good. You're good. And, and sometimes it's harder for us to see that because of what we're going through. But, but God, what we know uh, about who you are and how you've revealed yourself and what you, what you say and do, your track record is you're good. Sometimes our definition of good is skewed. Sometimes we want to define good as it's centered around us instead of being centered around you. So God, show us where we need to realign our definition of good. Because if we're not starting with God, you're good. And, 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 and that's our, our standard and our definition, then, then we're trying to, to hit a moving target. And it's going to be different for every person. But God, you're unchanging. And you're good. And so God, help us to, to grow in, in our knowledge of who you are as, as we worship you, God. Show us more about who you are. Teach us more about who you are, who you say you are, how you reveal yourself to us, what you say you do and will do. And then God, stir up in us faith to trust you at, and take you at your word. 
God, break us free from those efforts where we're trying to, to white-knuckle our way through or, or where, where maybe we've got a wrong view of who you are and we're, we're, we're trusting in that wrong view. God, help us, teach us so that we might be more rightly related to you as we grow in our knowledge of you, that we might be closer to you, know you more deeply, more intimately. Father, this morning, as we continue our worship, I want to specifically pray that you would bring freedom in this room today. And specifically, God, I ask that you'd bring freedom from where there's shame. Because shame keeps us from praying as we should. Shame keeps us from worshiping as we should. And so, God, bring freedom this morning. For those who are in Christ, that shame is taken care of at the cross. But sometimes, God, there's the weight of sin that we've chosen to be, be involved in or that we've given uh, paying rent to or, or maybe there's things that are happening that we're taking blame for that, that maybe we should. And so, God, shine your light this morning. Help us to, to move into the light where you are instead of hiding out in the shadows where shame tells us we belong. Bring freedom in Christ this morning that we might worship you freely that we might depend upon you more fully, that we might call upon you more freely. Show us what it looks like to worship you this morning. I think, God, I pray this morning also for, for maybe some in this room who there's some things that are hurting inside of them. Maybe it has some physical outward appearances. Maybe it doesn't. But it's keeping them from knowing you more deeply. It's keeping them from growing in relating to you. It's keeping them from the freedom that you intend for them in Christ. There's some hurt. There's some anger. There's some, 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 some deep down healing that only you can bring about. So God, show them, show them what, what, what you want to do with them this morning. Maybe there's something they need to, to confess before you this morning. Maybe there's some unforgiveness that they need to, 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 uh, to confess before you this morning. Maybe there's some, some unbelief. Maybe there's, there's some anger that they've been harboring. Maybe someone has wounded them so deeply and they've not, they've, they've not acknowledged that and they've not cast that upon you. God, bring that to the surface this morning and, and bring healing in those deepest parts that maybe only you know about at this point. Or maybe you and them. Bring freedom in this room today, God, that we might call upon you more freely, depend upon you more fully, know you more deeply. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory.
We're going to focus on our the love and the goodness of our Father this morning. And I want you just to celebrate that this morning. Oh, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like. But I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night. And you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. Sing it out. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am.
If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. And you're going to Romans chapter 4 this morning. If you need a Bible, there's someone the chairs there around you. Uh, I invite you to grab one of those, page 738 if you're using those. And um, if, you, uh, if you're the type who thinks, man, I'm just going to look at the screens, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, I just want to put this bug in your, in your mind that how will you know if I am saying what's really in Scripture? I just thank you. If you have the opportunity, you should put the scripture in front of you yourself so you can see it. Um, for, for a couple reasons. One, you can, you can be looking and going, okay, do I see, do I see that in the scripture? Is, is he reading that correctly? Um, do I see the, 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 the context? And then the other thing is just memory recall, right? Maybe after the service you're going, I need to go look that back up. If you had it out in front of you, you either marked it, you can bookmark it, or at least you have a more of a visual reminder of where you were, right? It'll stick with you better. So I always encourage you to have it out in front of you. If you need a Bible um, of your own that you, maybe you don't have a Bible that you read on your own, but if you're using a Bible from the chair and you're going, well, this one makes sense. The one I have at home has a lot of these and thou's and I just can't get past that. And if you're a the and thou person, fine, great. But if you're not a the and thou person and that's a, a hindrance or you just can't find the Bible that you used to have, take that Bible, Please, take it and let it be a gift uh, to you. We would love to have this problem where we have to restock the Bibles and the chairs because people are taking them and using them. That would be a great problem to have. And we have many people in the congregation who would love to, to fund that kind of project. All right? Because we've got generous people here. All right? So take those Bibles if you need them. All right, Romans chapter 4. Uh, we're going to look at verses 13 through 22. Now, if you were here last week for Easter service, you know that I did um, 23 through 25. So I jumped this ahead and I told you I was coming back. It was, just, it was just a lot easier to do just two verses on Easter instead of unpacking all this. So we're going backwards a little bit. So um, we're still in chapter 4. And then what you're going to notice starting next week, and there are new reading plans out there now, by the way, um, we're going to go between now and like Memorial Day, stay in Romans, and then probably take a break for the summer. Um, and then, but you're going to notice between now and Memorial Day, though, we're going to start pulling back the, the length of the verses that we're looking at. We're going to start taking smaller chunks as we hit chapter 5. Um, and so, whereas before I may have covered several paragraphs at a time, uh, a lot of the sermons between uh, chapter 5 through probably 8 is going to be like one paragraph at a time for a couple reasons. One, if you thought this was dense already, it's going to get even denser. But two, there's a lot of stuff in chapters 5 through 8 that impacts the way we live our life now. And, and, and in ways that are very tangible, and we might talk about it as the way we live out our spiritual life. That, that kind of stuff is real thick and heavy. And I want to make sure that we have time to dig into some of that because that's a, that's a big area that we all need to constantly grow in is how do I live rightly before the Lord? What has he equipped me with to be able to do that? So you'll notice that we're going to start taking smaller chunks than say like a couple paragraphs. But for this morning, here's where we're at. And we're going to look at faith this morning. So Paul, in the letter to Romans, the last couple of sermons in chapter 4 and, and the end of chapter 3, he's been hitting down, hitting on faith. Right? He's been hitting on a person's not made right with God by the way you live, but by the, by the faith that, that, that is in Christ. That, that's how a person is made right with God. And, and so he's been hammering that home, and he said things you know, that has helped us to understand that it doesn't matter who you are. 
Doesn't matter what your background is. Doesn't matter what your upbringing is. So if today's the first day you've ever stepped foot in a church or you were born in the church, you know, it doesn't matter. Your background does not make a difference when it comes to your standing before God because all people are impacted and infected by sin. Sin taints all of us and therefore we cannot stand rightly before the Lord on our own. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you've lived a moral life. Actually, it might be harder for you if you've lived a morally good life as compared to someone who's lived just a completely paganistic heathen life, right? Because the, for you, maybe if you've lived a moral life, maybe you've started to conflate the idea of faith and the way you live. And somewhere along the way, we let pride seep in there. And I'm speaking from experience here. We let pride seep in there and we think, well, I'm pretty decent of a person, or I'm not that bad, or I contribute here or there, or whatever. Whereas the person who's never stepped foot in the church, they're going, I have nothing to offer. Can he even take somebody like me? Like, it's just, sometimes it's harder for us who have been in church many, many years, right? But Paul says that doesn't matter because before the Lord, you all stand as fallen short of God's glory and in need of God's righteousness, which he provides in Christ. And he hit on faith, that it's through faith. Now, the question I want to tackle this morning is, what kind of faith? What, what does faith look like? And, and what type of faith is that, that God then credits us with righteousness? What does that look like? And so he's, Paul's going to use Abraham, still in the Old Testament, as an example. And, and here's the first thing we're going to look at in the first set of verses. Obedience apart from faith cannot receive the promise of God. Okay? And this is important. I'm not saying don't be obedient. Obedience has a place, but the order matters. Obedience apart from faith cannot receive the promise of God. So look with me at verses 13 through 15 there. Chapter 4, verse 13 through 15. He says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, then faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. So, so Paul's picking up on something he's already talked about. He's already talked about Abraham's faith. And, and he's already talked about how that faith of Abraham, where God credited it to him as righteousness or counted it as righteousness. So that's a phrase that he used before these verses. And he had talked about how Abraham believed God and God counted it to Abraham as righteousness. He, he put it in Abraham's account as righteousness, a type of righteousness that Abraham did not have before that point and that did not come from Abraham. It's God crediting righteousness, counting Abraham as righteousness because of something God has done. Right? And what Paul is making the connection here between Abraham and Christ is that he's already shown us that we get the righteousness of Christ. That Jesus did what was necessary to satisfy the wrath of God for sin and to bring sinners to God. Right? He, he did that, right? And it's his righteousness that is credited to those who believe. Right? So he's now helping the people understand that Abraham was a model for this. That faith is not a new way that God is making people right before him. It has always been the way that God has made people right before him. Faith. And so he goes to Abraham. Right? So he's continuing this discussion, and he talks about this promise that was made to Abraham. Now, this is a, a very broad and general way to talk about this covenant that Abraham uh, received from God when, when God called him out of Ur of the Chaldees, this area that would have been in Babylon, modern-day Iraq. And Abraham was a pagan worshiper. He worshipped multiple gods just like most everybody else in that area did. And God spoke to him, called him out, and said, Abraham, follow me to the land where I will lead you. 
And he made some promises to Abraham. And we sum those promises up usually with three main points. He, he told Abraham, I'm going to give you many, many children, many descendants. A nation's going to come from you. He, he told him, hey, I'm going to give you some land. The, the land where you're going to walk, that's all going to be your land. Right? And then third, through you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Right? Now that last part, the, the blessing part of the covenant, when he says the families of the earth, the idea is not every single person will be blessed. That's not what, what God said to Abraham. But through you, Abraham, all the families, all families on the earth, or all clans. And the idea that God was saying was all people, all types of people, right? Because Abraham was one man, and from him was going to come one nation, but God intended to bless all nations through this one man and this one nation and the person that would come from him. Okay, so all people, it's not going to be God just working with one nation, one ethnicity to the exclusion of everyone else, but through that one nation, through that one man, the nation that would come from him, all the families of the earth would be blessed. Right? And, and ultimately, fast forward, Jesus comes from Abraham. That's why this promise is important to us. We're not just talking about something that's historical that's no longer relevant. The promise that God made to Abraham that there's going to be many descendants coming from you and, and then also that aspect of the, the blessing through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Paul helps us understand in other places that that promise, that blessing is fulfilled in Jesus. And so all those who then are rightly related to Jesus by faith benefit from the blessing that God made to Abraham. Become spiritual children of Abraham, part of the descendants that God was talking to Abraham about. This promise that he's talking about to Abraham extends to us today if we're in Christ. That's why this matters. And so when he says the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And the point that Paul has already made is Abraham didn't have the Old Testament law. That came through Moses, right? That, that came several hundred years later. Abraham wasn't following a set of laws that, that, God, that God had given Moses. And yes, Abraham was circumcised, but Paul made a point earlier in this chapter to point out that Abraham believed God and then later he was circumcised. So if you wanted to make a case that, that Abraham was being obedient to the law even before the law was there, Paul's saying that's not why God credited him as righteousness. He believed God. And then a couple years later, he was circumcised, right? So that's what he's pointing out here is the righteousness that was, that was counted to Abraham. It didn't come through the law. It came through the type of righteousness that comes by faith. Okay, so, so he goes on then in verse 14, and he explains this a little more. And he says, for if it's the adherents of the law, for those who follow the law who are to be the heirs, heirs to the promise, then faith is null and the promise is void. Right, so, so a promise is made to Abraham, and Paul's saying, listen, if, if it's the people who obey the law, and because of their obedience to the law, they receive the righteousness of God, then there's no need for God to make a promise. Faith has no role in that. Because as we talked about last week, faith is the way we receive the promise. But if I could just obey the law and receive righteousness, or be a Jew, be rightly related to Abraham uh, because of my lineage, and receive the promise, then there's no place for faith. That's, what, that's what, what, what Paul's getting at here. It's the righteousness that comes by faith that makes a person right with God, that helps them to receive the promise. 
if it's the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, then faith is null and the promise is void. He says we can move on if that's the case. But it's not. For the law, why, why, is, why is it that the obedience to the law can't receive the promise? Why is it that what I bring to the table can't receive the promise of God? Why can't I be made right with God by the way I live? Verse 15, for the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. So Paul says the first part of that sentence is the law cannot bring righteousness because instead it brings wrath. The wrath of God towards sin. And here's what Paul's getting at. One of the purposes of the law, see the law was never given by God for a person to follow as a roadmap in order to be made right with God. The law was given to a nation at a specific time, in a specific place, in a specific culture to show these people whom God had already delivered out of Egypt, had already made a covenant with them, and he was being faithful to the covenant he'd already made to their ancestor, Abraham. He's already, he's already promised himself to these people, right? And the law comes in and, and, and helps them to understand who is this God that has delivered them out of Egypt? How is he different from every other God in the nations that surround them and in place of Egypt where they would have been exposed to many gods? How do they live holy lives before this holy God? How do I live rightly in the presence of this God who's redeemed me? The law was meant to help us live, uh, to help the people live before their God rightly. It was never given by God as a means to salvation. And theoretically, as we have said, in the law, God's righteous character is certainly revealed. Theoretically, if a person wanted to be made right with God by the law, they would have to obey that law perfectly 100% of the time their entire life. That's not possible. Because, I mean, we, we could sit here now and you, you, maybe you're thinking, well, let's test that theory. Well, just take the Ten Commandments, which is a great summary of the more than 617 laws that are found in the Old Testament law. Let's just take the top ten, right? Let's just take lying. Thou shalt not lie. If you've ever lied, it doesn't matter if it's a white lie. If you've ever lied, and that means actively telling a lie or withholding the truth. If you've ever lied one time in your life, whether you were small or large, it doesn't matter. That's it. You violated the glory of God. And all it takes is one tiny infraction. And you're not perfect. And therefore, you can't be standing in the presence of a perfect God on your own accord. Because even if you have just the tiniest little speck that no one else would see and everyone else would justify and say, this is fine, before God, who is the standard, absolutely holy, there's no sin in him, there's no darkness in him, you can't stand on your own. That's it. So we don't even have to go any further, but we could. And we could show how throughout our lives, sometimes intentionally, sometimes not, how we violate the very glory of God. We can't stand before God on our own. Part of the point of the law and God's perfect plan as he unfolded in history was also to show our need and dependence upon what God provides. So we've talked about how in the law, when you sinned, you would bring a sacrifice. The point of the sacrifice was not penance. It wasn't that I come and I, I sacrifice this bull, this goat, this, these turtle doves or whatever, and then, and then I'm offering penance to God. No, no, that's not the point. The point of the sacrifice was when, when there's sin, violation of the glory of God, when there's treason against the high king of heaven, the penalty for that is the death penalty. What sin earns is death. Some, something has to die 
in order for justice to be satisfied. And the point of the sacrifices in the law is God's grace. Because the sacrifice was the substitute. And though I sinned, if I bring this bull or goat, that bull or goat would be taking my place, taking my judgment, taking my earned penalty. Something was dying in my place. And that was meant to point us to ultimately the need for someone greater that would last so that I wouldn't have to constantly bring sacrifices year in, year out. The point of the law was ultimately pointing us to the fact that we are dependent upon what God provides for us to be made right with him. And so the law, Paul says, it brings wrath because as I, as I seek to live my life in accordance with the law, I now understand what sin is. I now, I now understand when I violated the glory of God. And as Paul will say later, there's sometimes where I didn't even know something was sin until the law told me it was sin, and now I want to do that sin. That's how, how sin impacts us. So, so maybe the, the, the law tells us not to go and covet your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's ox or donkey or in today's, today's terms, whatever vehicle or, or boat or whatever they have, right? I, I should not covet well, you know what? Until you told me not to do that, I probably wasn't even going to focus on that. But now that I know not to do that, sin's rising up in me, and now I want what they have, right? That's, that's how sin works in us. The law makes us aware of what's sin. And when we violate the law, the standard, it brings the wrath of God. That's, that's un inescapable. And so a person who seeks to be made right with God by being obedient to the law, they're going to fail every time. Because our, our own ability to obey the law will be imperfect. And so when I violate the law, even the first time, even on the smallest level, even if I don't think it's a big deal, I now get the wrath of God. I'm under the wrath of God. Right? But if someone can come and obey that law perfectly in my place as a substitute for me, so that they now have the righteousness that I need... And instead of letting me take the penalty for my sin, they took it instead. And so they get what I deserve and earned. And then they give me what they earned by faith. Then now I can stand rightly before God. But it has nothing to do with what I've done. It has everything to do with what Christ has done. But the law and obedience to the law can't do that. It's why I can't be made right with God on my own. Because even my best attempts to be morally good or to treat people well, or to, to relate to God in ways that, that are holy and right, I will fail at some point. And therefore, I, I will, if I wasn't already, I will be under the wrath of God. But what Paul has already told us is that all people are already under the wrath of God. It's the condition we all find ourselves in because of what Adam did, which is what Paul says in Romans 1.18. The, the, the wrath of God is revealed against the unrighteousness of humanity. And then he went through and basically captures every one of us. Because of what Adam did, his sin passes on to all humanity so that no person is able on their own to stand before God because we are all impacted by sin. So my attempts to be made right with God apart from God's grace, so me trying to obey whether it's the Old Testament law, whether it's my own standards, whether it's my own sense of what's morally right, it will fail miserably. And as good as I may feel about it, as good as others may make me feel about it, when I stand before the Lord, it will fall miserably short. And instead, I will find myself still facing the wrath of God. 
And this next part of the sentence where he says, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. He's not saying before the Old Testament law there was no sin. Because in chapter 5, he's going to actually address that very thing. He's using a word, transgression, that's very specific. And it's, and it's usually used by Paul when he's talking about um, violating the law, the Old Testament law. He talks about transgressing the law, not so much sin in general. And so what Paul is, is just pointing out here is where there's not a law, so say you're a non-Jewish person and you didn't grow up under the law, or if you were Abraham before the law, then you can't violate the, the, the Old Testament law. He's just saying the law brings wrath, right? And he's, he's making the case here that you cannot be made right with God by obeying the law. Hence, the obedience apart from faith does not receive a promise. You can't do it. Abraham, Abraham didn't do it, and nobody can do it. But where does obedience come in? Because obedience is important. I'm not saying don't obey. I'm saying your obedience is a result of faith not in place of faith. You obey God out of a response to God's grace. It's your, your, your relating to God on the other side of faith. I obey. Why? Because that's what you do when you love someone. And that person is the high king of heaven. You obey them. Right? And for me to disobey would be to not love. Right? But I'm, I'm obeying as a result of faith, and I'm obeying on the other side of faith, as opposed to obeying in order to be made right with God, obeying as a substitute to faith. Do you see the difference? The order, the order matters. And many of us, somewhere getting our, get in our mind that even though we're taught and we, we can articulate, I'm saved by faith or by grace through faith, we still are convinced that I still have to obey for God to be pleased with me. And instead, what we're missing is, no, God's not going to be pleased with you based on the way you live your life. He's pleased with you because if you're in Christ, he sees you through that lens. Because as Paul's going to say later, I have nothing good in me. I, I don't have anything good in me apart from God. But, but when God, through his grace, gives me the very righteousness of Christ, now God thanks and treats me through that lens. That's justification, like we've been talking about for the last several weeks. Being declared right, having a verdict declared over my life. Even though I'm not righteous, he declares me as righteous because of Jesus' righteousness that is then put on my account. That's where God's pleasure comes, through that. But if I think somehow that God is going to be pleased with me because of my own efforts apart from his grace, I'm going to find that I'm going to fail miserably. I have nothing to offer God that will make God bring me in, convince him that I'm worthy to be part of his family. No, it's all because God chose to move toward sinful, rebellious, ungodly humanity and act on their behalf. That's why we have hope. So obedience apart from faith does not receive the promise. And then we're going to dig more deeply into this next part. Faith that perseveres receives the promise of God. Okay, so look with me at verse 16. Verse 16. That is why it depends on faith. Okay, remember he just said the law brings wrath? That's why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So 
Paul goes on and he says, this is why in order to receive the promise, this is why God operates by faith for us. Because faith, as we talked about last week, is the only way to receive a gift of grace. When God acts in grace, the greater acting on behalf of the lesser, the more powerful acting on behalf of the weaker, the ones who depend upon God, receiving from God what they need. When God acts in grace, which is undeserved, has nothing to do with anything that I've ever done to earn it. God chose willingly to act on my behalf. When God does that, the only way to receive what he's offering is through faith. Because anything more would be a contribution. And I have nothing to contribute. And faith is simply the means by which I receive what God has done on my behalf. If I say faith plus, if I say faith and then be baptized, water baptized, if I say faith, but I'm going to show God that I was worthy by the way I live, if I say faith and add anything to that, if I say faith plus, I'm contributing and I've canceled grace. Because if I can work to earn it, I'm just getting what, I, what I'm due. If I do a job for you, and we've, we've agreed on a payment for a certain type of job, then when you pay me, I'm getting what I earned. I, I could say I deserve that. But if you say, I don't, I don't want you to work, I don't need you to work, I'm just going to bless you with this gift, then I simply receive that. If I try to pay you back, it's no longer a gift. It's no longer grace. I cancel out your grace. And when God offers by grace this righteousness that is available through Christ, the only way to receive it is by faith. Because if I can contribute, then I also steal glory from God. Which is another thing we, we looked at briefly last week. If I can bring anything to the table to add to, to faith, or to add to, well, I do my part, God does his part, we put that together, we make a whole. If, I, if there's anything in there where I can contribute, then I'm stealing glory from God. And God alone deserves glory. God alone is worthy of glory. So anything I do to rob God of glory is not good. The only way to receive a grace gift is by faith. I bring nothing to the table. I receive it. But what type of faith? Right? So, so he goes on and, and he says, that is why it depends on faith in order the promise may rest on grace. It's the only way you receive a gift of grace is by faith. And then so it can be guaranteed to all his offspring. Listen, if it was dependent upon being obedient to the law, then now the people outside of that law, non-Jewish people, they can't receive the promise from God. Remember I said God always intended to bless the families of the earth, not just Abraham and the nation that came from him, but through them to bless all the families. Well, if, if you can only receive God's promise to Abraham which ultimately is fulfilled in Christ, if you can only receive that by obeying the Old Testament law, what about the people outside of the law? What about the people who have never had the law? Paul says it's so that it can be extended to all of Abraham's offspring because he's already helped us understand it's not just someone who's physically a Jew, rightly uh, or descended from Abraham through Isaac through Jacob, but it's someone who's spiritually a Jew who is a descendant of Abraham. So faith is required because it accords with faith, uh, grace. All right, we're going to go on, verse 17. He's going to start describing now this faith of Abraham. As it is written, this is God speaking to Abraham, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. 
Now we're starting to get a glimpse of what that faith is, how it looked in Abraham's life. So God made this promise to Abraham. I'm going to give you many families. I'm going to, I'm going to make you the father of nations, right? That's when his name got changed from Abram to Abraham, father of many nations. And then Paul tells us in the presence of the God. Now, here's what he says about God. The God in whom he, Abraham, believed. Okay, belief, faith, same, interchangeable. What did he believe about this God? What did he understand about this God? Hey, we've already talked about when, when God brought Abraham out of the tent and said, look at the stars. And if you can count them, that's going to be the number of your descendants. And Genesis 15, 6, which Paul had talked about recently, it says, and Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's what Paul's talking about. So what, what was Abraham believing in that moment? Right? He wasn't looking at the stars and somehow in the stars seeing a picture of a man, God-man, who would be born and, and, and a couple hundred years from then and, and then who would live and then die a death on behalf of guilty people on a cross and then raised from that. He wasn't seeing all that. Abraham was taking God at his word in that moment through the promise that God was giving him. This is faith. Believing God at his word. He is who he says he is. He can and will do what he says he will do. And entrusting yourself to that. Abraham then believed God. That's faith. It's centered on God and it's centered on the promise of God. For people prior to the cross, they were looking forward. But now after the cross, we all look back and the promise of God is in Christ. So for, for Abraham, it was looking forward and he just believed God. In that, in that moment that he was going to have these nations that didn't exist. For us, the, to believe God will be that Jesus is who he says he is. He died in the place of you and me, a sinner. And that through that death, God forgives sins for those who believe in him. And Jesus rose from the dead. The, the, these are the, the, the promises that God has made that we now look back and believe. But for Abraham, he was looking forward. And look what it says about God. Abraham's belief in God. The God who gives life to the dead. Let's stop there for a moment. You remember Abraham's body, <laughs> 100 years old. Sarah's body, 90 years old. And God's making a promise that I'm going to bring lots of, lots of children and descendants from you. That's quite a promise to make to a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman. Even in Bible times, right? When they might have lived a little older. Abraham understood that his body was dead, speaking about being able to make kids. And he understood that his wife's body was dead. Like they, they just weren't able to do that at this point. And so in the context, what Abraham's understanding is the deadness of his body. But he believed God who can bring life from the dead. So as he's, he's hearing this promise from God that I'm going to bring you a nation from you. I'm going to bring descendants from you. He considers the deadness of his body and he believes in this God and he knows that this God can make life out of dead things. It's not a problem. So even in the face of what he saw, what he could understand, even if he tried to figure out his own plan, which remember he did, Ishmael, right? Abraham realized God can do what he says he's going to do. If he's going to bring a nation from me at 100 years old, he can bring life from the dead. Right? He goes on, he says, and the God who calls into existence the things that do not exist. What did not exist in Abraham's time? The nation that God was promising him. 
And so God's promising him a nation is going to come from you and many descendants. It didn't exist at that moment. Israel did not exist in that moment. You realize Israel was a nation created by God, for God, from one man, Abraham. Different from every other nation on the earth. It didn't exist at the moment. And God was making a promise and, and Abraham believed that God can call into existence things that do not exist. This is, the, this is what faith looked like in Abraham, right? It was centered on God. He is who he says he is. He can do what he says he's going to do. And it was in the face of obstacles and the face of, of things that would normally say, this can't happen. Like he's looking at dead bodies with regard to having children and God's promising children. He's going against nature. He's trusting God to transcend what's possible. That's faith. Now, that's the context, but clearly Paul is making a point as to how people are made right with God, or they're saved, how they're justified. And the parallel he's going to be making as he continues to go through is, we too, just like Abraham's body was dead, unable to produce children, we too stand dead before God. He'll say it that bluntly in another letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. But you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly lived. That's the condition of humanity before God. Dead. But God is the God who gives life to the dead. And I've put this before you before. Dead people cannot give themselves life. It takes God acting from the outside of the person who's dead to bring them to life, to give them new life. That's Paul's point. That's why it's by faith. Because you, you, you stand spiritually dead before God. I stood spiritually dead before God. I have nothing to offer as a dead person. It takes someone who has life, who is life, giving me by his grace that life. How do I receive it? I have nothing to contribute. I'm dead. I receive it by faith. And he calls to existence things that do not exist. Now, I want to, before we move on past this, clearly the context is how, do I be made, how am I made right with God? What, what does that faith look like? What was the faith of Abraham when he believed God? And Paul's clearly making the case that this is how people are made right with God, by faith. By way of application. Paul will say in other places, the same way in which you are saved is the same way in which you live. By faith. You don't get saved by faith and then live by works. You get saved by faith and then you live by faith. And that faith produces in you works, right? That's the order. Some of you, some of you are facing something right now that's stunting your growth in the Lord. Or there's something that, that you're coming up against. There's a situation, there's a circumstance where you are challenged. You are maybe threatened. And you're, you're, you're wondering, what do I do? How do I get through this? And, and you've even maybe perhaps reached the point where you know there's nothing you can do it's out of your control. We're still called to live by faith, but you're struggling with that. What does that look like? What, 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 what hope is there? I'm going to tell you this week alone, on more than one occasion, I have interacted with people. This week alone, more than one occasion, interact with people. Situations are hopeless when I look at it. Hopeless. There's no way to overcome this. There, 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 there's, there's, just, there's just so many things going on, and they're two completely different situations. Hopeless. 
when I consider it. God is the God who gives life to the dead. If God can give life to the dead, can I trust him with whatever it is I'm facing? If God can give life to the dead, then can he take a situation that I see as hopeless in my own understanding and overcome that? Yeah, he can. Because what, what faith is, is trusting in God, who, by the way, is real. And we talked about this in the youth class this morning. So if I called on any youth, you'd be able to give me the answer, right? Yeah, that's what I expected. Yeah, 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 high expectations. So, so faith is not the same as believing in a fictitious character. It's not fantasy. Faith is, is not me believing in a fictitious character to help me get by. Right? Okay, so whatever you decide to do with those said fictitious characters, right? right? There's, a, there's a place for, as a child, believing something like that, perhaps. But as you grow, at some point, you have to come in touch with reality and abandon that fictitious belief. But if you think and you have learned through that fictitious belief, fantasy, to transfer that same type of fantasy belief onto God, that's not the type of faith that saves. You cannot believe in God like you believe in said fictitious characters. Because there's a fundamental difference here. Said fictitious characters are not real. I speak in code for reasons. There, there is a type of belief that is grounded in reality. God is who he says he is. He can do what he says he can do. If I expect to believe in God like I believe in said fictitious characters, that is not faith. That's fantasy. That does not save. That will not persevere. I cannot live based on that. Parents, grandparents, you make whatever decision you want about said fictitious characters. But at some level, you and I have a responsibility to make sure our kids know the difference and that we are helping them see that God is real, alive, active. Right? How do I do that? I'm pointing out in everyday life, see that? That's God. Did, did he answer a prayer? See, this is, this is God. Or are we eating a ribeye steak? Hey, I didn't grow up getting to eat ribeye steaks as a kid. Isn't God good? Like when I got to eat steaks as a kid, it was round steak, and I thought that was real steak. But you, you get to eat ribeye steak. Isn't God good? Right? We're, we're helping them to see how God is in, in every aspect of our life and how he is a person not a part of fantasy. We have a responsibility to help our kids grow in that and separate the two because you cannot live your life as a believer in Christ on fantasy. Okay? Paul says Abraham's faith was centered on God. He's real. And he believed that that God can transcend what I know is reality right now. He can bring the dead to life. And he can call what's not yet in existence 
into existence. You need to dwell on that. And you need to think about that deeply. And when you face things that are threatening you or challenging you or causing you to wonder, God is the God who brings the dead to life. He's the God who calls things into existence that don't already exist. I need to remind myself of that. Faith is, is, is there's an aspect of faith is, yeah, I'm believing God for something I don't see yet. But I'm reminding myself of what God says, who he is, and what he's done. There are times where you need to recall the things that God has done so that it fuels the faith that you need. And you need to call on God. Hey, strengthen my faith. Help me in my unbelief was one of the greatest prayers in the Bible. I believe, but help my unbelief. Good prayer. Honest prayer. Abraham's faith. He goes on in verse 18. He goes on in verse 18. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. See, there it is. In hope, the, the type of hope that's not wishing, it's the type of hope that goes beyond my current circumstances. It's the type of hope that I can't understand how this is going to happen, but God said it's going to happen, so I believe I'm hoping in God. In hope, he believed against hope. That would be his hope, right? So what Paul is saying is he looked at the natural, impossible circumstances, and he believed what God said about them. I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to take your dead body and bring it to life. He believed against hope when God gave him the promise. Verse 19, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Verse 20, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Verse 21, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. Okay, so let's take a look at those Briefly, he did not weaken in his faith when he considered his own body. Easy to do, right? God, you made a promise to me, but um, my body's not working that way anymore. Easy to focus on myself and my faith wavers. Side note, did Abraham ever weaken in his faith? Yeah, he did. What? But Paul just said, no, Paul's got a different purpose here. Ishmael is a weakening in his faith, is it not? When he tried to make his own way with Hagar, Abraham had moments where he did not trust God. Paul's point is not to detail every little detail of Abraham's life. He's characterizing Abraham's life in the full projection of his life. What was characteristic of his life? He did not waver. He continued to persevere in that belief. I say that because I need you to hear this. There will be times where what you're faced with is going to like knock you down, right? It's like someone's come behind you and they just kick you in the back of your leg. And you, you waver because you're, you're seeing what, what's in front of you. And you see no way past it. And you see no way around it. It will happen. But do you persevere in faith? Because when that happens and your knees are cut from behind you, you can walk away from God. And you can say, he does not exist. If he did, then you could. But if you have the type of faith that perseveres, Though you waver, in that moment, your life trajectory will be characterized by faith. Lord, I don't understand how you're going to do this, or if you are, but 
I believe you are who you say you are. And I trust you to do what you say you can do. And sometimes that prayer is even like what Job, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's a faith that perseveres, right? So I, I, I say that because some of you are astute enough where you're going to go, wait a minute, we've talked about Abraham wavering in his faith, how Hagar, and, and you're going to read something like this and see Paul's lying. You've got to understand that when authors write, they don't always have the same type of purpose that you might expect them to have. He wasn't trying to detail every little, little uh, uh, detail of um, Abraham's life. He's trying to show the trajectory, God, that Abraham related to God on faith. It, he persevered in it. All right? Verse 20, he said, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but look at this. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Is your faith weak? Jesus said all you need is a mustard seed. If you've got weak faith, great. You have faith. Lord, help me in my unbelief, right? Uh, giving glory to God where God gets the glory, right? His faith grew stronger as he gave glory to God. God, I trust you. You're, you're good, right? We sang good, good father this morning. Y'all sing it good and loud. But I know that some of you in this room, either you were singing it and didn't believe it or you couldn't bring yourself to sing it. And that's understandable. And we've got to be honest about that because there's sometimes where it's hard for me to sing good, good father when I'm going through something that I don't, I'm not, I'm not sure, are you good right now? Right? It's, it's do I stay there? And do I walk away from God or do I persevere in faith? God, I'm, I'm wrestling with this right now. Help my unbelief. Greatest prayer you could pray. Lord, or, or it could be, Lord, um, I, I want to desire you more, but I don't. So help me to want to want to desire you more. That's a good prayer too. I'm honest before the Lord. I'm acknowledging where I'm at. Nothing's hidden from him anyway. Help me to want, to want, to desire you more. Give glory to God as you, as you are facing whatever you're facing. You're thanking him for the things that, that he is doing for you. You're giving glory to him. You're praising him for his faithfulness. You're, you're looking for him. And even if maybe you're expecting something different than what he's given, God, I, I don't understand it but I know this is who you say you are, despite what I'm going through. You give glory to God. As you do that, your faith grows. Why? Because the Spirit of God within you, if you're a believer in Christ, will strengthen and produce in you the fruit of the Spirit, which you can't do. But the Spirit of God produces in us, faith being one of them. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. There's your faith right there, right? Faith is not a fantasy. It's I'm convinced that God is who he says he is. He can do what he says he's going to do. And if he said he's going to do this, if he says he, he makes people right before him by faith in Christ, I trust that he's going to do that for me when I believe in Christ. And I'm not going to add to that. Lastly, then, that is why his faith, Abraham's, was counted to him as righteousness. This is the type of faith that Abraham had. There's no formula. There's no fantasy. This is a real relationship with God. We don't relate to God in transactions, right? We relate to God by faith. God's ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And there are times 
where we, we, we want to try to control or manipulate God out of fear because our situation or we don't know how else to do that. And what that might reveal is we've not been living by faith to begin with, but we've been managing things and now we can no longer manage it. And so now we're reaching out. Or it may just, it just may be a moment of weakness where our legs just get cut before us because I don't see a way around this. I don't know what to do. Right? I don't, I don't know, I don't know how this is going to change. I don't know, I don't know if there's any hope in this situation. There's no formula. We just depend upon God. Lord, help my unbelief. God, if, if you know, the, the, Jesus said in the garden, I want to go to the cross, paraphrasing. He said, if there's any other way, I want to go to the cross. If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But what was his very next statement? Nevertheless, your will be done. I'm still trusting in you. God, I'm scared. I'm trusting in you. God, I don't know, I don't know what to do. I'm trusting in you. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Though he slay me, I will still praise him. Faith. The type of faith that perseveres. And I say that because fantasy does not persevere. You gotta see the difference. Getting caught up in an emotional situation at some point where you went forward and you went forward because you just felt the emotion and, and then you, you see nothing in your life that evidences any change may have been fantasy, not faith. May have been just being caught up in the moment, not faith. Faith that perseveres. How do you know if a person is rightly related to God? Ultimately, you know over time as their faith continues to persevere. And so I've said this before, I can't tell you when I got saved. What? I know. I used to say, I used to say sixth grade. Nope, but now I look back at sixth grade and I say, I just went forward at a camp because everybody else was going forward. I didn't want to be the only one sitting down. How many of you did that, right? We've all been there. But if I look at my life between sixth grade and the next milestone, there was no change. Should have been some kind of change. Desires inside to know the Lord change in the way I treat people. There should have been something. There was nothing changed. Eighth grade. Eighth grade. Start reading the Bible on my own. Somewhere along the way, something changes. Listen, I don't care. Take this for what it's worth because it's coming from me. I don't care if you know the exact date. If you're struggling to know whether you're rightly related to God because you can't remember a date, that doesn't matter to me as much as do you believe him now? If you don't believe him now, let's deal with that, right? Let's address that instead of trying to, to fish for a date and, and did, it, did it correspond with my water baptism? No, do I believe him now? Because faith perseveres. If it's from God, it continues. And if you're not still believing God now for the gospel in which he makes us right with him through Christ, let's address that now. Who cares about your date? I don't care. Throw your card away. Whatever. I mean, that, that's the kind of stuff we get hung up on. I'll take your hate mail later. But that's the kind of stuff we get hung up on, and it really hinders us. It does. Because we, we either give ourselves a false assurance, and we bank everything on that moment or that day, never mind the fact that we don't have faith now. We're not believing now. 
Oh, Lord, help us. Some of you, be honest today. Am I believing Christ now? Do I still believe that he and his righteousness on my behalf, his life, his death, his resurrection, I'm trusting in that. I've put it all on red because blood's red. Put it all on red. Everything's in. Is that still today? Or have I somewhere along the way convinced myself that I need to convince God I'm worthy and that's how I've been living my life? Or have I somewhere along the way started to relate to God like there's a formula. If I do this, God, you owe me. He owes you nothing. He freely gives you every spiritual blessing in Christ. Don't demand from God when he has given you everything in Christ. And you want something in some cases that it's just far short. It's just far short. So Father, we, um, I don't know, Lord. Stir up our faith. Help our unbelief. Help us to be honest with ourselves. Let your spirit show us, do we have the type of faith that is spirit produced? Or are we clinging to fantasy? And if we are, God, call us out of that. Are we rightly related to you because we have the righteousness of Christ counted to us? Or do we think we're rightly related to you by the way we're living our lives? Are we under your wrath or are we under your grace? Show us. And if we find ourselves still under your wrath because we do not have the righteousness of Christ in our account, then God, call us out of that, that we might believe Christ, believe you, that you can take dead people and bring them to life. And you call into existence things that do not exist. Call life into us, God. We might respond with faith. And God, by way of application, as we talked about, God, there are people in this room who might be watching this video. God, their knees are buckled underneath them. And maybe they need to, maybe they need to go to the floor. Maybe they, they, they stood back up in their own strength. But God, sometimes we just need to, we need to be leveled. So God, if that's what it takes to, to trust you, then do that. But then stir up our faith that we might trust in you and have the type of faith that perseveres regardless of what we, we encounter, regardless of what we see, regardless of what happens. Help us to see you as you truly are. Help us in our unbelief. If you're able, will you stand and we'll dismiss. Your God gives life to the dead. What's dead in your life? Your God brings into existence things do not, that do not yet exist. What are you believing and hoping God for? Trust him. Believe. Depend. 
He's good. He's faithful. He's near. He's present. Go in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.